You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Heckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Jono Bacon. He's a community strategist. He's also an author and a speaker. He's also a podcaster. I love I love having people on who, who do podcasts. It makes it more fun and engaging. But we're going to talk about building communities. Jono has been involved in, in many companies, uh, helping them build out their communities, helping them manage their communities. I'm excited about this. I think for service-based businesses, uh, it is real kind of challenge in terms of how do I build thought leadership? How do I build reputation? How do I build a following. And that's uh, what Jono is an expert in. And that's what we're going to talk about. So with that, Jono, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So why don't uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about your background in terms of how mm. you got into the whole the kind of the community topic, the community space? Um, how did that evolve? Uh, what have right. what are some of the things you've been doing in helping companies build communities? Yeah. I mean, I got into this business uh, in much the same way that other people get into theirs uh, through a pretty random path. Yeah. Um, I was I was 18 years old, living at home with my parents. Uh, my brother came home for a couple of weeks to visit, and he introduced me to this um, this operating this kind of emerging operating system called Linux for computers. And I bought a book on this. And the first chapter of the book basically talked about how this platform was created by volunteers from all over the world that come together on the internet to kind of build it together and then consume it together. Um, And Linux has gone on to basically power industry, like Android phones are powered by it, the cloud is powered by it, electrical grids are powered by it, all based upon this foundation of people collaborating together to build it. But when I read that first chapter back in 1998, it kind of switched on the light bulb for me that this is just a fascinating mixture of of, of psychology, of workflow, of technology. And I was just really curious about figuring out how all of that stuff works. So I went on to organize various communities around technology in the UK. Um, I also was a was a journalist and I ended up writing an article about an organization called Open Advantage, which was in, the, in central England where I lived, where a lot of industry was moving abroad. So Open Advantage was a government-funded organization to basically retrain those workers in technology. And at the heart of that was, um, was open source software. So that kind of gave me some chance around consulting and kind of helping to understand people's needs. And like anything, one thing led to another. I went to work for an organization called Canonical, which basically is the creator of, of, uh, of a system called Ubuntu, which powers the majority of the cloud today, mm-hmm. and then onto XPRIZE and then onto GitHub. And these days I'm a consultant. I actually wrote a book called The Art of Community about 12 years ago, and companies would reach out and say, how do I apply these principles into my organization? And that's when I started consulting initially on the side, and then I went full-time about three years ago. Yeah. And essentially what I do is I work with with a really broad range of companies from banks to entertainment companies to, you know, remote uh, kind of shared workspace companies to how do they build either a community inside of their business within the firewall Mm -hmm. or how do they build a community wrapped around a product or a service so they can essentially use the crowd 
to generate additional value for whatever they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And let's talk about kind of what is community. I mean, you're, you're already kind of talking about different types of communities, but when we're talking yeah. about communities in this context, what, what are we referring to? What What is the thing that we're trying to build or create uh, around these products and services and businesses? Yeah, I mean, a, a community is basically a group of people who come together because they have a shared interest, passion, or mission, right? So, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, communities can include, for example, the Salesforce community, which is over a million members, in fact, uh, as we record this, San Francisco has been decimated yeah. by most of those that's coming to visit. <laughs> yep. But it can also be um, activism around a social cause, or it can be a video game community, or it can frankly just be people coming together because they share a common interest, such yeah. as Star Trek fans. I tend to break it into three basic models, and I kind of walk through this in my in my new book, People Powered. The first is, is what I refer to as consumers. These are people who come together because they have a shared interest. And this is people who usually discuss something or they answer each other's questions. So again, Star Trek fans are a good example of that. Uh, people who are fans of like equipment or products uh, and they put up a forum. Relatively straightforward communities to, to build and they can grow quite significantly. The second type is what I refer to as, as uh, champions. And these are communities who generate additional material that gets added to a stockpile that supports that community. So they produce blog posts, videos, they organize local events and meetups, they exhibit, exhibit at conferences and places like that. And then the third type is, is a collaborator community where people come together to build things together. Now, that's, this can be subdivided into two types. The first is called an inner collaborator community where people work on the same project. So mm-hmm. my examples earlier on of open source, a good example of that, where if you're a community member, you expect to be essentially on the same team as any company who's investing in it. And there's a careful balance in how you figure that out. And then the second type is called an outer collaborator community. And this is people who build technology that runs on a platform. So for example, if your listeners have a a product or a service and they want people to build additions to it, such as plugins or modules or or components, that's another type of collaborator community. And there's enormous value throughout all of these because, you know, it builds customer retention. Mm -hmm. It can build enormous brand recognition. It builds a closer relationship with your customers and your users. And I think when done, right, you can just generate phenomenal value from it. Yeah. Do you see a difference between um, kind of organic or spontaneous or self-organized communities versus communities that are you know, kind of in, in planned, intentionally kind of created around a product or service or a, a yeah. you know, a company. What give me some sense on how you categorize those yeah. or how do you differentiate between those? That's a fabulous question, Bruce. Uh, it's essentially there are many examples of communities that kind of naturally spring up. Yeah, a good example of this is Pokemon Go. When that game first came out, I mean, anyone who's got kids yeah. who are over a certain age will will know what this is. Or frankly, a lot of adults play as well. Yeah. Is that the game sprung up and then there was all kinds of additional services and websites and and things that support players of the game. Typically, when they spring up naturally like that, what happens is you get a, a giant burst of energy, and then either the company behind that community or other people are just trying to figure out how to manage that and how to consolidate it so people can have a good community experience. And it can be tricky uh, because it's kind of like improving a product in market. You know, it's a little risky to do that. You ideally want to improve a product with a limited amount of, of you know feedback from your yep. customers and then roll it out to market. Yep. The ones that are intentional tend tend to deliver a much better experience and a much more efficient way of building a community. I'll give you an example. One thing that um, is very common in the industry right now, people hire a community manager, they bring them into a business, and that community manager goes out and does a whole load of speaking at events, they write blog posts, they do social media, they tend to 
over-index. A lot of community managers over-index on the promotional element. And that's fine because the natural inclination is let's get our community up and running. Let's get our brand out there. But what then happens is your new prospective community members come to your community and often have a pretty bad experience. It's a bit difficult to sign up. They can't quite figure out how to get started. It's not clear what they're supposed to be doing or why they're supposed to be doing it. So one of the critical elements is that you have a really simple onboarding experience when people join. Because otherwise, you can do all that promotion, spend all that money, and then you're essentially leaving value on the table because people come in, they check it out, and then they get confused and and kind of wander off and play their PlayStation. So when you're intentional, you tend to solve those kinds of challenges. And you also tend to be much more efficient as well. Like uh, Most people don't throw 10 community managers at a community. They tend to start out with a, you know, some of this person's time, some of that person's time, and you can get a lot more done that way. Yeah. And talk to me about the onboarding. I, I'm sort of appreciative that I thought about that. Yeah, the, the, the whole, the initial experience is going to have a huge impact on kind of what your involvement or your, you know, participation rate is going to be. What right. what defines a good or, or a well-defined or a well-crafted onboarding process? Yeah, this is something I actually wander through in People Powered, which is, to me, the first step and the last step of an onboarding process are always the same. The first step is is you, you need to explain the value for the individual and why they should spend any time with your community. I tend to start out by breaking communities into personas because there's different types of participation, different types of value you can generate in a community. People can write software, they can organize events, they can answer questions for people who are using your product or your service, they can coordinate content, they can do marketing. And as anyone who works in the business knows, the culture and the dynamics of how, for example, an engineering team works is very different to the way in which a marketing team works. So you need, you need to tune the onboarding experience to that persona. So the th- thing I always recommend is start out by choosing which personas you want to focus on. But then the first step of that onboarding experience is like, why should someone care about, you've got to make it really compelling about why they sh- should join the community. And it can be very tangible things such as, you know, I'm going to solve problems and I'm going to deliver value and I'm going to um, improve my career. Or it can be really intangible things like I'm going to meet some interesting people and have a lot of fun. Like yeah. the, it, all of those things matter. But then the last step of the onboarding process, once someone's generated a first piece of value in the community, they've answered a question, they've organized an event, they've done something, is to validate that contribution. Most people in the world, like we tend to forget that we're animals. And when you take away the, (laughs) the computers and the screens and the microphones and everything, most human beings, our brains are pattern matching machines, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to be able to tie the pattern between effort and reward. And that's why we're very, very incentivizable creatures. So when someone does the very first thing in a community, it's really important to recognize that and reward it if it's good, because that will essentially buy you them having another go at it. And then that's when they kind of enter into a longer process of of how we kind of build retention. And then between those two points, the first and the second point is things like, you know, setting up the tools, learning the skills, having a place where people can go and ask questions and get help when when they, you know, finding something something to do, things like that. Yeah. So let's talk about sort of strategic value of communities. I and mean, if I'm yeah. a leader inside a, a service-based company, I'm looking to grow and right. scale it. How can I apply or, or where where communities and, and community strategy is kind of applicable to my business plans and business growth? Yeah. So, I mean, it obviously varies from business to business. I think the first thing I would always recommend someone does is look at your business and say, what are the ways in which we can harness an ecosystem in different ways? So, you know, for example, if you've got, if you have, 
have, let's say you're a, a consulting services organization. Well, one thing that you could, uh, one kind of community you could build is a community of, of clients where you can bring your clients together. You can organize mixers. You can send them content. You can provide opportunities for discussion. You can have dedicated, you know, kind of um, user generated discussions, events, things like that. So this will be a very, very tightly curated, high quality community of your clients. So then when they're, they don't just get the value from you as a consultant, they also get the value of joining your ecosystem and they get other things out of that as well. Yeah. And what happened, the real value of communities is a community is basically a network of minds that's got experience and time and talent. So when you bring your clients together and they can communicate with each other, assuming it's properly set up, then they can add value to each other within your environment without you having to do anything. Yeah. And, and that's really the additive value of, of a community in that context. But let's say another example is you're running a, a service. Let's say you have a SaaS service, for example, you've got a product that's online. Uh, you could build a community of users of that product who who provide help and support and guidance. You could have a community of people who are who are creating videos, people who are kind of exhibiting at events and things such as that. Mm -hmm. So there's what I always recommend is start by defining you know, where do you see the potential for an ecosystem? And a good way to do this is to look at similar companies in your space yeah. and what they're doing or similar companies with the same type of product. So if you're a SaaS company mm -hmm. looking at other SaaS companies, not necessarily just SaaS companies within your particular market, but even if you don't see anything there, there's always someone who's first. <laughs> so yeah. just because yeah. someone else isn't doing something doesn't mean that you can't do it. But the key thing I think is once you've identified that, you know, kinds of community that you can build, the most important thing is to define what is the value we want to generate for our users, yeah. for our community members, yeah. and then look at the value you want to generate for your business. Because if you focus on the value for your business first, frankly, you'll end up making a community that's quite boring and people yeah, don't exactly. want to join. So yeah, and, and when you define that value proposition for your users, that's what you expose as the first step of that on-ramp. Yeah. Can you give us some examples of companies that have done a good job of sort of strategically, intentionally creating a community, building a community, you know, that has value not only for its members, but for the business as well? Yeah, there's, there's I mean, there's numerous examples out there. I mean, for example, Salesforce, mm -hmm. Oracle, SAP, Fitbit, they've all built communities of over a million members who come together to provide not just support and guidance for how people use their products. I mean, Salesforce is a good example. Their products is remarkably complicated. Yeah. I mean, it's actually relatively straightforward to get going, but it can do basically anything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, build a time machine out of Salesforce. Yeah, yeah. So people, your support department could never provide the level of support to provide guidance for each and every one of those users and their specific needs. So Salesforce, Oracle, SAP, those kinds of companies have built massive communities that do that. But they also organize local events. Like I say, Dreamforce is happening in San Francisco right now. There's tons of mm -hmm. local community events happening. Um, another example is a company called Fractal Audio System. Systems, they actually build a product called an AxeFX, which is a guitar processor. I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. um, and they've got a, a rabid community who are excited about this product because it's, again, very complicated. And people produce videos, provide guidance. They organize, again, organize events, you know, uh, things such as that. Another example would be would be Star Citizen. This is a, a company that wanted to build a video game. They raised $250 million in, in crowdfunding. They built a community of 1.8 million players. You get other communities that are more in-person in nature, like Harley Davidson set up 700 local chapters around the world. We've seen large consulting firms like 
McKinsey have done a great yeah. job in building client communities. So mm-hmm. th- there's a raft of examples that are out there. Yeah. yeah. I know McKinsey also does it. They have a, a really strong alumni community as well. In fact, I, th- I think they generate a lot of business from, from their alumni yeah. community. The people, the previous employees that now are off at these uh, various companies that end up coming back and hiring McKinsey for the work. So yeah, really thinking through all the different potential leverage points. Well, part, so. I think part of it here is the relationship that we're having with brands is changing. So, you know, 20 years ago, you buy a product, you only engage with the company via their customer service number or their email address. And then what happened is companies wanted to inform their customers and prospective customers better. So they started sending them newsletters because customers started having email addresses. And then, you know, more recently, it's very common that you get a bundled digital experience with a product. You know, you go and buy a Lego set and you get the app that your kid can kind of connect to and does all this extra stuff. But I think it's important to remember that younger generations such as millennials are growing up in a socially connected internet and yeah. uh, so they're growing up with social media and they're growing up where having a relationship with other with their companies and their brands is what they expect and this is not just having a, an impact in terms of what a fulfilling experiences between a customer and a company but also where people want to work like people want are now increasingly wanting to work in companies that for example support remote working mm-hmm. and have these kinds of community initiatives um, so I think that your listeners while it may be sometimes difficult to identify like what is the immediate value we can generate today and apply resources to it, this is definitely going to be a trend that's moving forward that it's worth thinking about. Yeah, yeah. So you've given a couple of case studies. You've mentioned a couple of companies that have built these sort of massive multi-million user communities, uh, member communities. Um, do they always need to be that big? Is there is there value in smaller communities? I guess tell me, yeah. tell me where how that plays, what the difference is, you know, what the challenges are. But you know, talk to me about community size. Yeah, I mean the size. Frankly, communities get more difficult as they grow because um, one of the reasons why communities work and have worked for thousands of years is that we are fundamentally social creatures. And, you know, we form together. If you just look thousands of years ago, we formed together into villages. And part of the reason for that was because we're stronger in numbers. You, yeah. you, you increase the level of security. Now, security is less of a, an issue for most of us or for many of us rather yeah. in the yeah. world today. So we can identify other values of that social grouping. And when you have a smaller social grouping, it's easier to get to know those people and to address those people. Like if you've got a community of 100 people, you can basically know pretty much everybody and you can make sure that everybody gets a fairly personalized experience. If you've got a community of a million people, it gets much more complicated. So there are many examples of smaller communities that have formed. I mean, I go, for example, I do talks all the time at at, at companies, businesses, at conferences where they have these little communities of a couple of hundred people and they're fantastically rewarding for people where it gets tricky is when you start spanning beyond three or four hundred people you then have to systematize a lot more of what's going on right so um and the thing is no one ever wants to get thanked or engage in an automated way no one likes getting automated emails no one likes getting automated linkedin messages like anyone who sends an automated linkedin message to someone when you've connected to them stop doing that it doesn't work (laughs) it's not like that so what happens is you get enormous value in small communities. And then what, sadly, what can often happen is as they grow and as they systematize more of the pieces of how the community operates, then sometimes it can lose that personal touch and people can then think, well, I don't really want to join this because I'm just, you know, one drop in an ocean. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. And talk to me about the what you actually do with the community. I mean, we've kind of hinted at some things that are happening online in terms of resources and connections and, you know, videos and things like that. You mentioned, you know, real uh, IRL, <laughs> you know, events, you know, things that are right. are uh, are happening in person. What are some of the other things when you when you look at what a community can do or what kind of value or things you can offer via community? What what's kind of on the the menu or the things that you encourage people to talk about or think about? Yeah, I mean, like I say, a, a lot of it tends to depend on the the specific community. So obviously, if you've got, for example, a community wrapped around a, a technical project, then people will be able to contribute code. They'll be able to solve. They'll be able to report bugs, solve issues. They'll be able to discuss how the, the project should be structured and how it should be operated. Um, but then, if you have another community, let's say a community wrapped around a business or you know, for example, there's, I can't say them because they're a client of mine, but there's a, <laughs> one, one of my clients basically runs kind of like a large marketing think tank, I guess you could say. They have this community of about four or 5,000 members and they come together um, for events. They have like a main event every year and then they have local chapters that take place around the, uh, around the world. And there's kind of a formalized method in which you apply to run one of these chapters, kind of like TEDx, but it's nowhere near as complicated as TEDx. Yeah. And, and there's consistent branding across these local chapters. But what they have as well is they have webinars that they run every two weeks. They have content that goes out to their members. So essentially what happens is members pay a fee to join this community. And then there's also a kind of an online clubhouse where people can go and ask questions and people provide feedback into 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 those questions and provide answers. So there's a real multitude of, they've essentially evaluated what, what are the things that a marketer typically cares about? Well, they want to grow their skills. They want to increase the quality of their marketing operations, such as improving metrics you know, in how they're being evaluated. And they want to network with other marketeers and they want to understand their market better. And they've basically provided all kinds of collaborative community services that relate to that. So, yeah. yeah. How about, is there anyone or any areas or situations where communities don't work so well or you advise, you know, you, you wouldn't kind of take the strategy or, you know, particular things that, that can be challenging for certain types of communities that you'd want to avoid or, yeah. or make sure you're, you're steering clear of? So one of, the, one of the areas where I've seen communities struggle more is is when you have an industry where people are less inherently connected, right? So, for example, I've worked with a few construction com- um, organizations, a combination of, of unions as well as as well as businesses who are in various types of building construction, and general contractors and laborers are generally on site. They are occasionally connected by their phone. They primarily communicate with each other via phone and fax. So if you want to build a global community of people who are connected or even a regional community, like let's say people just in the US or just people just in the state, it's very difficult to get those people connected to each other when they're just not really inherently on the internet very much. It becomes more complicated now. Yeah. That's becoming less and less of an issue because people, again, growing up with um, you know, younger general contractors are growing up with with smartphones in their pocket, and it's yeah. just becoming part and parcel of doing business. But that's been quite challenging at times. So when I've encountered communities such as that, we're primarily focused on in-person and regional events, and then kind of lightweight messaging, such as sending people email and providing opportunities for people to respond via email, like newsletters and things like that. The good news is that is that part of the reason why communities are growing is because technology is becoming commoditized, so more 
more people have got a cell phone. It used to be the case that people in developing nations primarily had feature phones that couldn't really do very much. They can make phone calls and send text messages. Yeah. That's becoming less of an issue now. More and more people have got like Android phones that can join communities effectively, that can run web browsers and apps and whatever else. And internet access is, is becoming commoditized. Like it's, you know, a gigabyte of data in India is considerably cheaper than it is in the UK and the US, for example. So this is opening up a massive market of people who are getting connected to the internet. And that in itself is making an opportunity for a much broader audience. And, you know, and it means that if you are, for example, someone listening to this and you're running a services company, you have a fairly small team that's completely maxed out with things that you're working on. You can actually, when you structure a community, you can generate value that your team doesn't produce itself. Your team acts as like a facilitator. Yeah. And uh, and that gives you a potentially a global reach. And it's yeah, it's pretty phenomenal stuff. And tell me a little bit about kind of platform and technology. I mean, uh, there's I mean, I know people do things on Facebook and LinkedIn and there's there's community platforms, you know, software that's yeah. specifically around this. Uh, I know Slack is becoming a big, you know, Slack channel communities and stuff. What what do you kind of see, you know, either generally abstractly or more specifically with tools that you've seen coming out or people that have used right. what works, what doesn't? What do you advise? So one of the most central elements, one of the most central decisions in building a community is where do people communicate? Because yeah. a community is effectively, there's typically a, a like a clubhouse, like a digital clubhouse where people kind of spend time. Now, some people have moved to Slack for that. Slack is not a good platform for building communities. It's really intended more as an instant messaging tool. Yeah. And one of the reasons for that is because if I go onto a Slack channel and I say, hey, Bruce, I've got a question about something and you say, this is the answer. Somebody else could come on in two weeks from now and ask exactly the same question and you're not online or somebody else isn't online and they wouldn't be able to find our discussion. Yeah. Right? They wouldn't be able to consume the value of our interaction. So the very best communities that you find, what they do is when people interact with each other, it gets indexed and then you can find it because the way in which people solve problems today is they type a question into Google or they type a question into DuckDuckGo or somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. So I always recommend using platforms that are more like kind of kind of like forums, but modern forums. There's a platform called Discourse, which I'm a big fan of. It's completely open source. It's, it's used in a huge range of communities. And it means that you can enable people to have conversations with each other. They can have interesting discussions. They can ask very, very direct questions and support queries. You can provide news. People can collaborate together on it. And all of that stuff, again, every interaction that you produce on it, it generates indexed value that is indexed on the internet via Google. So that means Got that it. thousands and thousands of queries about your community, about your about how it operates, about your products, they get indexed and people can find them. And consistently with discourse, I see traffic naturally growing. As the community grows in terms of participants, the number of kind of window shoppers who are showing up to your community without logging in tends to grow as well because it gets indexed. So I'm a big fan of, of those kinds of platforms like discourse. There are also, you know, I mean, there's engineering platforms, which we can get into if, if you want to, but like GitHub that are very, very mm -hmm. popular. Events platforms like meetup.com and Eventbrite are very popular. The good news is that you can basically start a community today with a whole bunch of free services. It doesn't really cost you anything and yeah. you can make it part of somebody's time to just to get started. The key thing is being intentional and then following a recipe and that's essentially what I put together in, in People Powered. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, so in terms of you know managing the community, what are some best practices? Like once, once you kind of figure out the technology, you've got kind of figured out your strategy in terms of kind of enrolling people, getting people on, once they get on, what, what do you need to do to you know, kind of um, tend to your community and, you know, keep the weeds down and make sure everything's flowering right. well and stuff like what's, what does that process look like? <laughs> keep, keep your garden healthy. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So the first thing I would always recommend is 
walking through the approach that I tend to use with, with companies is, so you first of all define your value proposition for your individual members and for your company. You define the personas that you want to target. Let's say we want people to provide support and guidance or we want people to generate content. And then what you do is you put together a set of plans to facilitate that for the next year. And these should be relatively lightweight plans. You know, for example, we want to set up a forum with discourse where people can go and ask questions and they can get help. We're going to integrate that into our website. We're going to start a blog where we can generate content and put it out there. We're going to really focus on social media and socializing our content and build growth. For example, start with a very simple set of goals. Identify who are the team members that you want to own those goals. So have an owner for each one of those. And other people will be involved in the facilitation of those goals. But you, you always want to have one person who's ultimately on the hook for delivering them. Yeah. And then focus on a target quarter to get them delivered and then pick a small set of metrics that you want to track for each of them. So for example, with with a discourse forum, I would be tracking the number of page views to determine just overall growth. I'd be wanting to track, there's a, a metric in there called DAUMAU, which is essentially the number of daily active registered users divided by the number of monthly active users. And it gives you kind of a stickiness number, uh, which you generally want to be 20 to 30%. So that means, that gives you a sense of how many people are generally sticking around and actually participating. And then tracking the number of registrations. So you pick a small number of metrics Metrics. And part of the skill here is being able to look at those metrics and say, what happened, right? Mm, so for example, yeah. if you see a growing number of page views, but a, but a kind of your number of registrations is going down, then it means that the existing content on your forum is getting picked up on the internet and people are, are consuming it. But people don't really have a reason to sign up and do something. So you yeah. need to give them more of a reason to sign up, give them more, explain the value of doing that. Now, the other thing as well is I would recommend that senior leaders in the business basically say, this is an important part of how we do business. It might be an experiment. You might want to present this as we're going to have a community pilot. But what you want to do is set the expectation in your team that they need to play a role in participating because people don't want to join communities just to talk to a community manager. They want to talk to your teams. So they want to talk to your marketing folks, to mm -hmm. your consultants. They want to talk to your engineering team, to your product team. They want to talk to your leadership. And part of that, therefore, is building a habit in your team members that they show up every day, 10, 15 minutes, they go and check in, answer a few questions, share a few ideas around what they're working on and be engaging. And that takes time. You need to provide them with, you know, how to do that and how to use the platform and what they should be doing. People are going to be nervous about putting a foot wrong and saying something that they shouldn't have said publicly. So it requires that executive authority with that boots on the ground support and guidance. And that's often what a lot of companies will have a community manager providing support for. Yeah. It takes about 66 days to build a habit scientifically. So once you get your teams doing this for a couple of months, it then doesn't really feel like work. And what you want to do is you want to earn a browser tab, you know, where they're checking the, as much as they check their email, <laughs> like it, they yeah. check their, their communities as well. Yeah, I like it. Jonathan, this has been a pleasure. Uh, people want to find out more about you, about the consulting you do, about your books. What's the best way to get that information? Yeah, so um, my website is johnobacon.com, J-O-N-O, bacon, like the delicious meat, uh, <laughs> .com. The new book is called People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Teams. That's available on Amazon and elsewhere, and you can find out more about it on the website. And all the consulting stuff is on the website, too. And I'm on you know all the social media networks. Luckily, I have such a stupid name that I tend to be John O'Bacon on all the social media networks, apart from instagram where someone stole my identity <laughs> and it's john o'bacon graham so uh, yeah. i was gonna say the real the real john o'bacon uh. <laughs> i was tempted to do that and i was like uh 
I think I'm going to get an email from a friend of mine saying, your ego is out of check, yeah, man. Exactly. You need to sort that out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that's great. I'll make sure all those links are on the in the show notes so people can click through and, and get that information. Uh, this has been great. I think it's, uh, you know, it's a fascinating aspect to um, building a tribe, building a following, building a community to help grow, scale the business. It's a, it's a great way. Certain businesses, it's it can really accelerate things, but I think it's even yeah. even within your internal teams, you know, as particularly companies that are going more and more virtual now, you can apply a lot oh, of these things just enormously. internally. So There's so much opportunity out there. And uh, like I say, this is going to be the future of where businesses are going to be operating. So it can give you a really firm competitive advantage if done well. So. Yeah. Jono, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Bruce. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.